0: This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alsa Thomas and welcome to our podcast. This week I'm joined by our Asia editor, Damon Evans and digital journalist, Hamish Penman. Hello chaps. Uh, I was, yeah, I was thinking of it like a, a timely little quip to make here, but I feel like I've made jokes about Boris partying during lockdown three or four times on this podcast now. And it is just, it's just getting old, like, like all of my jokes. So to be honest, I think we're just going to leave it this week. We're just going to leave it and we're going to move on. Um and this week we will kick off uh with Damon and the the serious situation in in Myanmar. In, in recent days we've seen Total Energies and Chevron announced they'll be exiting the country over the escalating situation with human rights abuses. Um Damon tell tell us more about what's what's been happening there.
1: Yeah, so last Friday in a bit of a surprise announcement, Total Energies announced that it would be Exit in Myanmar. It's uh, the operator and a major shareholder in the Yadana gas project, which has been operating for nearly 30 years now. And um, they are going to exit within the next six months, and that is a and and so, so that, that and also Chevron as well also decided they are going to exit. Although I don't think they had much choice because. Um, with with Chevron, with Total Energies leaving a void, then the operatorship passes to the next majority shareholder, and Chevron would have would have most likely um, uh, it would have been a bad look, I think, for Chevron to remain in My- Myanmar uh, after Total Energies exiting. Mm. And and the reason, I mean, both companies have been under a lot of pressure from stakeholders, including shareholders, activists, both in um, the West and uh, civil society in in, in Myanmar. I was going to say Burma then, but I think I'll stick with Myanmar.
0: There it, there it is, yeah. <laughs> the, the
1: Burmese uh, civil activists. So um, there we go. But um, and it, so, so in a way, it's a bit of a windfall for Thailand's PTT EP, uh, their state-backed uh, upstream player in Thailand, and they buy most of the gas from this field. About 70% of the gas goes to Thailand, about 30% remains in Myanmar. And the reason there's been pressure against um, the big oil companies to leave uh, Myanmar and Yadana in particular is to cut off revenues to the, the military government, which uh, overthrew the civilian government uh, just nearly a year ago now. How, how, however, the interesting thing about this is um, the Myanmar oil and gas company, which is state-owned, their share, they're a minority shareholder in the project, currently on 15%. And with Total, Total Energy, sorry, and Chevron uh, planning to exit, uh, that Myanmar company's share of the project should rise to 37%, meaning they will get more mm. revenue and and um, cash flows from from the project. So um, I'm not sure that it quite achieves the aims of um, what activists and civil society were hoping. Um, yeah.
0: Yes, it does seem a bit of a between a rock and a hard place there. I suppose just I mean I guess I I recall as you say about a year ago seeing uh, Joe Biden on the news say, you know, pushing for uh, economic sanctions after the the coup and, and I I suppose these these majors thought that they I guess they might have been able to ride out the storm and see how things go, but but clearly we, we, well we've seen in the news what's been going on over there with uh people being displaced and and people being killed—it was just an unsustainable situation for them, I suppose. But at the same time, as you say, the the net effect might be this: the the national Myanmar oil company will 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 gain greater revenues in in the long run, anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And and also another another point worth noting: so Total Energies was in—they um, were doing some very interesting exploration with Woodside Australia's Woodside offshore Myanmar. They had some. Um, some deep water gas discoveries they were looking to develop and just after the coup about last year um, there was a lot of pressure on them to stop those projects and Woodside Energy initially the CEO uh, he was quite reluctant to stop he said you know that's a, a domestic situation and we don't want to get involved in then there was a lot of hoo-ha uh, I don't know perhaps that's too too light but there was a lot of um, People were upset in Australia about his comments and and he was quickly uh, uh, shown the exit door. He was due to leave Woodside anyway as chief executive later in the year. But I think um, his attitude towards the coup at the time uh, led to his um, earlier downfall. And, And also Total and Chevron, they've been there 30 years. There was a military dictatorship for most of that time when they were operating. It's only in the past 10 years that we've seen a transition to civilian rule. So I think it also signifies how how the times have changed um, for, for big oil. I think you you know originally or previously they they were there through thick and thin, and and on, and and the regime was was pretty bad under the military before. So yeah, I think that yeah, it's in, oh, interesting.
0: Mm. Yeah, the, the, the social aspect of it is, is really quite fascinating to, to watch from the kind of the Chevron Total energy side of things. Th- this uh, this Yadana um, field has um, been going on for, for 30 years odd. Uh, so I, I gather from from your piece and from, from the figures you've provided, I mean, it looks like this is a of not just of huge significance to, to Myanmar, but also to, to Thailand. And, and you mentioned that PTT exploration production, it looks like they're going to be the ones that are taking over uh operatorship now I mean this that that would appear to be the, the appropriate kind of best perhaps the only choice in, in, in the current situation given what's been going on
1: I think so and I think under the current joint operating agreement the the, the share the share from total and Chevron total energy sorry I'll keep getting yeah <laughs> the chef <laughs> I wish they didn't change their name and uh, the share from those companies will then be be um, uh, distributed among the remaining shareholders who can object to it they don't have to take it however thailand importing most of the gas and it accounts for 10 to 15 percent of thailand's national electricity supply so i don't think pttep are going to turn around and say hey no we don't want this and mm. and you know we, we can't take operatorship of the project and i think yeah they are the next best Operator to have, otherwise you 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 might get Chinese national oil companies in the mix if 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 the project if there was a void and somebody had to come in then I think they would be the the likely candidates. Um, another thing worth noting as well, so we've obviously the violence and the human rights abuse and the, you know, there's been more than one thousand three hundred deaths uh, by the the military have killed yeah. more than one thousand three hundred people in the past year, according to recent reports um is there's also major oil and gas pipelines flow into china through myanmar and the military have now laid landmines around those pipelines to protect the pipelines from being attacked by the the insurgents oh um which is kind of worrying for the 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 people that live around the pipelines and the villages that earn their livings from agriculture and and they're very concerned about that so so the whole situation is pretty dire it's deteriorating and i suppose chevron and total energies will be will be glad to be off the hook in a way and um yeah pretty sad
0: so I mean, I've I've never written about or or I don't, I'm not really acquainted with this uh, M O G E uh, Myanmar Oil Company. I mean, uh, and and P T T uh, Exploration Production taking it on is, as you say seems the the right one is. Is there any situation here? I mean, you've, met, you've mentioned Chinese national oil companies, for example. Is there any situation here where, whereby M O G E could or might seek to become the main operator? I don't I don't know if that would even make sense from their perspective or not. But I mean, it's 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 a Myanmar uh production fields so I just wondered: is that something that could potentially even happen
1: I mean I suppose theoretically it's possible if if PTT EP declined to increase their share and and declined to be the operator um, I don't think MOG is, has a lot of uh, in-house uh, expertise mm. compared to the the international oil companies and the the other regional national oil companies such as Petronas and PTT EP. and um, but I suppose they would be taking over the existing staff and operations, and you know, f- yet theoretically it's possible. It just seems unlikely at the moment. And and if that did happen, then I think well, th- this this whole thing would have really backfired on the stakeholders that have been pushing Chevron and Total Energies very hard to to stop financial flows to the military government and to and to get out of Yadana. But ultimately, I think. Myanmar would be in a pretty bad state without it. It provides 50% of national gas consumption. Western Thailand is pretty reliant on, on the gas and, and domestic gas production in Thailand's declining. LNG imports are going up. So yeah, I think uh, we'll see the Thai company operating pretty soon.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, well, thanks, uh, thanks, Damon. That that right about wraps things up for that segment on Myanmar. Um, next up, we're taking off with CHC's takeover of Babcock's North Sea helicopter business. Energy Voice investigates and reports on what matters in global energy, helping
2: sector leaders understand the geopolitical and economic factors underpinning current events and giving them a view
1: on what's coming over the horizon. Each year, 3.4 million professionals use Energy Voice as a trusted source of breaking news and insight. Subscribers to Energy
2: Voice receive unlimited access to the Energy Voice website, including premium content, free and discounted special reports and additional content, free access to the Energy Voice live app featuring a personalized feed and priority access to Energy Voice events. For a 30-day free trial subscription to the Energy Voice website and app, visit energyvoice.com subscriptions. Join the global energy conversation with
1: Energy Voice.
0: Okay, so this story is about CHC um, justifying, I guess, to competition authorities uh, their takeover of Babcock's North Sea helicopter business and using some fairly derogatory uh, negative language, I I suppose, about Babcock in in order to to do that. So... Uh, To set the scene, for those that that don't know, um, there are four firms operating uh, in the UK North Sea, the helicopter companies. That's CHC, Bristow, NHV, and what was, until recently, Babcock's UK helicopter business. And as we've covered on the podcast before, Babcock Group, which is kind of an engineering giant focused on sectors like defence, they had long been kind of seeking to sell off the helicopter business. The the former chief executive, uh, Archie Bethel, said... Often and loudly, and he was kind of describing the helicopter business as a nightmare, um, among other things. So, yeah. So that came against the backdrop of well, severe pressure on prices, which kind of remains in place, it would seem from from what we're hearing. It, and so, but certainly in 2020, we had you know CHC's North Sea helicopter subsidiary posting their worst results in a decade. You know, we had Bristol coming out of Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And we had two big downturns where, you know, customer kind of rules the roost, uh, unions talking about commercial pressures affecting safety. And then, of course, in 2020, we had Babcock winning a deal with Total, um, which NHV described as a kind of a race to the bottom, accusing, you know, Babcock of essentially bidding so low just to keep their aircraft in the air. And CHC similarly, you know, started accusing things of, you know, unsustainable pricing, which would ultimately, Harm safety and harm investment. So, with all that going on, uh, you go forward to last year and CHC announced it would be acquiring Babcock's helicopter business. That's it's international, but you know the main base is in the UK in Aberdeen. That's a business covering about five hundred people. Um, and after a lot of kind of back and forth, competition authorities, the competition and market authority here in the UK, has referred that takeover to an, an in depth investigation, and they're saying this this gets rid of one of just four players in the North Sea, and from their perspective it could reduce competition, it could impact prices, it could impact services, Um, and through this investigation process they could, through their powers, impose certain restrictions or block the takeover uh, outright. So what we've had this week, CHC has kind of responded to that formally, Uh, well I should say they responded to it formally a little bit earlier, but the CMA has only just published their legal response to that now. And CHC, uh, for their part, to be fair to them, and correctly as far as I can tell, they're arguing that this isn't going to reduce competition. The reduction to three players rather than four, they say, will get prices to a more healthy level. Maybe reduce some of the, the oversupply in the market and get the industry you know, back to a more even keel. I think, I think that's fair. I think most people in the industry broadly agree with that. What was interesting to see was... Um, well, I guess what I perceive to be uh, almost mudslinging in terms of the, the words CHC had to the CMA in terms of, of what they had to say about Babcock's North Sea business. And they made comments such as this will remove the weakest player from the North Sea market and that Babcock is not a particularly serious competitive threat to CHC. And that latter point they made in order to kind of highlight that the remaining companies, Bristow and NHV, are a threat and will remain so. But still, it seems an odd thing to say about Babcock. You know, why are you doing that um, if, if they're so weak? If they're not a competitive threat, what's the issue? I mean, maybe that's an oversimplification. Um, and they're talking about market forces here. Uh, but it's interesting to see it play out. We'll talk a bit more about it. What what, what have you thought of it, Hamish? Have you, you've you dealt with uh, the helicopter companies a good few times in your in your tenure.
2: Yeah, it's... Uh, an interesting uh, tactic i think to be uh oh, slagging off i suppose <laughs> what could be your potential your potential fewer and empl- uh, potential future employees by kind of a, a my dad's bigger than your dad sort of a mm. line of inquiry <laughs> but no, i thought it was um interesting comments um It'd be interesting to see whether they have any weighting on the outcome. Mm. Um, I did. I thought the point, the point on going back to three operators was quite interesting. Was it NHV that was the last one to enter the, the market?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. NHV came in in 2016. Yeah.
2: So two, two, when, when NHV entered the market, were there kind of these similar concerns being voiced by the existing players that this could put safety at risk? That there would be this race for the bottom? Is this kind of a, an issue that crops up? cyclically, I suppose, in the helicopter market.
0: Yeah, oh, well. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what happened when uh, NHV uh, came in. Um, I know, I think that, I think they were underwritten by one of the majors who, who are no longer um, operating in, in the UK North Sea, um, but for them to come in, um, which kind of gave uh, a bit of power over um, pricing. Um, but th- it certainly seems that, well, the, the net effect of NHV coming in is that they started up, with their little Belgian yellow helicopters, as the former CEO told me once, um, and that's the way they were perceived these these you know Belgian guys with their little yellow helicopters. Um, and what's actually happened is they've had you know they've they've challenged the predominant S ninety two model um, with the H one seven five, which is a smaller uh, chopper, but it's it's very very competitive to the the standard model, and it's kind of shifted pricing and 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 yeah, I guess that must have put some pressure on on. The, the other the others coming in Um I suppose what uh, what CHC is arguing now is that there will always be the threat of new players coming in even if we you know even if they effectively get rid of of Babcock so they, and also as I say they're saying that this is going to kind of return to the status quo that we had in the North Sea for about 30 years where it was only three major kind of helicopter players um, that said, you know they are listing off a number of companies um, which which could enter the market. They say um, Bel Air. I think another well, one's called Westfly, I, I can't quite recall. Um, but they're not op- They're not in the UK market at the moment. But they, they're kind of saying to the CMA, well, they could. They could come. And interestingly, they said that um, Unifly, which is a drone firm, apparently um, uh, you know operating in the renewable space in the UK. They have applied, according to CHC, for a UK air operator certificate, which you know would grant them ability to, to operate in this sector. I'm, I'm curious as to how far along that is or not, but it'd be interesting to see what that company would do in the North Sea oil and gas markets. Um, you know, it's interesting to see how the helicopter and um, business is uh, is evolving. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Babcock. For all the talk of saying that, uh, you yeah, know, my dad's bigger than your dad and oh, they're not competitive in that. Well, we had them this week. They started a new contract with Wealthsafe uh, Solutions um, who have taken their their Wealthsafe Guardian rig out to the, the bucking field. It's the first rig in the North Sea to be used, I believe, specifically, very specifically for Well P&A. Um, and and is its sole purpose. Um, so, you know, that's a big first for us. They've won that contract, um, but yeah, at the, at the time, as I say, you know, certainly in recent years, there's been a lot of talk of Babcock not really going at competitive pricing. They've just been trying to keep their helicopters in the air. I don't know what the uh, what the circumstances was of uh, the the Wellsafe um, deal, but um, but yeah, w- will it have an impact on 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 things going through? Will it um, Will it go ahead? Um, we'll need to see. I mean, CHC have said that. Um, the the competition, they're concerned that the Competition Markets Authority have made this decision to refer them to an in-depth investigation in a vacuum, as they say. So, without taking into account the specific conditions of the helicopter market, um, which I suppose if you look at other industries around the world, the reduction of a key player would, would suggest you know, a lack of uh, uh, harmful to competition. Um, but yeah again as we've already talked about there has been this pressure on pricing you know customers can more or less it would seem based on what we've been told kind of basically impose what they want and oftentimes go for the you know as they would with a regular contract the the competent the competent player but certainly the one with the 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 lowest price as well um, and, you know, uh, hopefully if 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 the CMA can see that, um, and if, if they come to the conclusion that CHC are correct um, about pricing, about the prospect of new players coming in, about this returning the conditions back to the kind of the, the status quo, then maybe that will, yeah, maybe that will see it come in. This could still take many, many, mu- uh, quite a few months for it to come through. I think the in-depth investigation can take up to 24 weeks. Um, so we're still, we're still a long way before that uh, finishes up um, and then of course you know there's a question over well what's that going to do for the workforce in Aberdeen if you know we've got a company of 300 people and a company of 500 people the broadly doing the same thing you would have to assume they'd be looking to reduce some of the capacity in the market in terms of the number of helicopters so yeah. We'll, I think as well, well with
2: the, the North Sea oil and gas industry specifically only kind of going one way at the moment. In kind of five, ten years, fifteen years time, there might really not be a need for for four operators to be competing in the same in the same base. And mm-hmm. as that kind of shrinks, there might perhaps only three operators will will be needed. And I know that helicopters are used in, in, in offshore wind, but certainly not as much as they they are in um in oil and gas. And and that will kind of be that kind of emergence of drone technology and things like you mentioned earlier, things that can be controlled from onshore. I think that will be perhaps the biggest thing in 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 offshore wind so mm-hmm. maybe this this um kind of amalgamation of operators is just kind of a natural a natural trend in in that that might well kind of replicate what's going to happen in the, the North Sea oil and gas industry anyway.
0: Mm, Darwinism at work in the helicopter market. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think you're right there, specifically with the renewables uh, stuff. And that's a, that is a whole other conversation, uh, which we will not do for now, but certainly an interesting one to ponder. Yeah, we'll land the chopper there. And to see what happens with that merger. Next up, Hamish is talking through some of the projects being added on to carbon capture clusters for decarbonisation.
3: In this uniquely challenging environment, the global energy sector is looking to its leaders to drive the conversation forward. Companies at the forefront of our industry need to communicate how their expertise can help clients in the wider community now and when the market rebounds. Energy Voice is the trusted voice leading the global energy conversation on coronavirus, the oil price crash and the energy transition. Over the past month, energyvoice.com has been read over a million times We reach 1.4 million people on social and more than 12,500 people subscribe to Energy Voice. Because what we say matters. And because Energy is our language, we can offer you a unique, integrated marketing service to ensure your expertise gets maximum exposure. A comprehensive suite of content services brings your message to life. Expert consultation hones that message to perfection and we have opportunities to share it across editorial, special reports, video, podcasts, webinars, and display advertising. To find out more about speaking to over 1 million qualified users in global energy through our peerless digital news and insight platform, visit energyvoice.com content hyphen services. We want to help get your message to the right people. And in these challenging times, we're pleased to offer a 25% introductory discount on new campaigns. For this and more, energyvoice.com slash content hyphen services. Okay,
0: Hamish, uh, so some schemes kind of up and down uh, the country being put forward as, well, these kind of add-ons to carbon capture and storage clusters. Uh, Tell us more.
2: Yeah, Equinor has been uh, pretty quick out of the blocks in um, in 2022 with, with putting its Putting its projects into the mix for for funding, um, this is obviously phase two funding of this uh, kind of government cluster sequencing process they call it. So we'll remember that phase one, we the results were published in in October. Um, the East Coast cluster and HiNet were the two two picked by government to to advance to be up and running by mid twenty twenty five. Perhaps you remember more though that Acorn wasn't picked, um, or the Scottish cluster, I suppose more broadly, wasn't picked, which really sparked a lot of anger and, and confusion more than anything up here, because it seemed a lot of people and, and especially big players in the industry describing it as kind of the obvious choice. Now there was quite a lot of drive after that for um, the government to make it three projects uh, to bring Acorn into the mix or the Scottish cluster, rather sorry, into the mix. Uh, that's not happened yet, but it does seem like the phase two. Uh, of this process is progressing rather quickly. So Equinor's kind of put three projects into the mix. we will come to that, but they have also given some details on this on this phase two um, process that I, as far as I know, I don't think were widely available in the public sphere. So the first one is that the decision around these projects, which which ones are going to be picked, and these are to be up and running by 2030. Um, So a decision is expected on that around May, so not too far off really, especially given that the last results were published only a couple of months ago. And also that um, instead of kind of wider clusters um, that will be considered by governments, these are going to be it are going to be individual emitter projects that will be selected instead. So, I don't. At this stage, it's unclear why the what the justification is for changing that. I'm sure, or hopefully, it will become um, clear in wide in in the future. Um, and it would be interesting to know what the kind of industry take is on that. Because although Acorn didn't win, and there was a lot of anger about that, I thought the the last process seemed to run. Relatively okay, but maybe they've just decided that they, they need to tweak it to be more specific. Yeah,
0: I, well, I was under the, under the understanding that it was track one, which was East Coast Cluster and uh, and the other one you mentioned. Phase one and two um, as part of that were kind of related to these uh, add-ons that will join the clusters and then track two would be a separate round for the next kind of set of clusters ah right have they, have they suggested that's changing
2: well no maybe that makes sense i think we go perhaps i'm getting my my phase and my tracks um mi- mixed up here <laughs> um because yeah these are yeah equinor said that kind of as phase two of this this sequencing process there will be individual emitter projects so i suppose that makes that makes sense though but yeah so equinor put three Um, projects in the running, um, two of which are with SSE Thermal. So the first of those is the Peterhead Power Station. So the two of them released plans last year to incorporate carbon capture and storage provided by the ACORN project into the power station to decarbonize its operations. Uh, And they kind of said Really outlined its its um, importance to the energy transition in providing a base load of power of clean power that can keep the mar- uh, keep the market ticking over while renewables are fed into the system, and that's kind of expected or hopefully expected to deliver lots of jobs in in both the construction and operation phase. Now know, I'm pretty sure that Peter Power Station as well a few years ago picked up Scotland's worst emitter prize, so, oh, so quite a good one to be chasing. Um, so yeah, one worth decarbonizing I think would say the other one is um, Keedby in the Humber which is, I mean there's so many projects going on in the Humber with that all have a vaguely similar name that all incorporates Humber in it it's kind of becoming very difficult to Sheldon, yeah. differentiate between them and to realize who's in what but this one is the Equinor and SSE Thermals um, Keedby plans yeah. um, so that's kind of also looking at basically a very similar thing to, to the Peterhead power station in decarbonizing the p 3 um, and that would kind of feed into the shared pipelines developed through the, the Zero Carbon Humber and the East Coast Cluster Partnerships. Um, separate to that and kind of on its, this is without SSE Thermo, Equinor's also entered its uh, Hydrogen to Humber Salt End project Um, into the mix. That's proposing a 600 megawatt low carbon hydrogen production plant um, with inbuilt carbon capture and storage again. I would hazard a guess that that's also going to be coming from this zero carbon Humber partnership that is wrapped up in the East Coast cluster that that won the funding in October. Hmm. Um, So that's kind of adding a a nice kind of hydrogen bow to to this project that's are going to be well needed and they're kind of saying that it could kind of reduce emissions locally by by 30% so that's a pretty significant whack um, so it, it does seem like Equinor kind of really getting up and running on, the, on these projects, it be interesting to see which other ones are thrown into the mix um, if it's kind of based on individual emitter projects rather than wider clusters, I'd be surprised not to see ACORN in there um, but it, it's kind of getting quite tough at this point because all of these Individual emitter projects are all tied into one another. They've all kind of got pretty similar players in with them, and, and the H two H Salton project, Ineos is also involved in that. Ineos is also involved in the Acorn project, so they're really starting to. It seems like no matter who the who who is announced, all the companies are going to have some sort of um some sort of celebration when it when it comes out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it, well, I mean, look, we, we, we know that ACORN, uh, the Scottish cluster, I should say, uh, as you mentioned, didn't get selected um, back in October. But when they come to the next round, uh, it seems pretty clear from what the government's saying is that they need, they're need they going to need all of these clusters in order to reduce our emissions. If we want net zero by 2050, there's not really going to be much. Or 2045 in Scotland, but uh, 2050 for the UK, uh, there's not going to be much option but to develop these and, and potentially others, uh, right? So... Um, yeah, uh, the, the political fallout um, yeah. s- was pretty rife at the time, I imagine. Um, it, but that's probably not going to dissipate. That still rumbles on. It still rumbles on, indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Phil, I was speaking to... Um, Harbour Energy's uh, Europe chief executive uh, earlier this week for uh, a feature coming out in a supplement, which will be out on uh, Monday, February 7th. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please do pick up your copy. Um, and yeah, he was talking about the fact that two projects Harbour are involved in, that's ACORN Scottish Cluster and uh, Humber VNet Zero, They were neither of those were selected for track one. Um Pretty surprised and I guess disappointed at the time, but uh, he was he was kind of saying, well, we're optimistic about, you know, later selection, optimistic about the future of those projects. Um, and he kind of cited the, you know, the the noises coming from government about, you know, why we still need these things. Um, and yeah, he said that he would hope, he, he was a bit, um, slightly ambiguous, but he kind of said we would hope to have answers before... Kind of around summertime on what's next in terms of developing these or, or what might what might come next? I suppose in terms of funding, he all he said was before summer to find out what's next, and that was right after I ran out of time with them, which is the way these things tend to go, of course. Um, but uh, but yeah, well we'll be good to see what what exactly comes next and what form. But yeah, I mean these are huge uh, projects, huge industrial projects. They're looking to justify the uh, big big investment, so they're uh, if they're aiming to add on uh, emitters to these clusters, then that uh, surely is the right way to do it. Um, and I suppose there's still a huge amount of regulatory issues and, and the like for, for government to get around, but it's good to see these progressing.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's such a such a new industry that there are all these yeah, regulation kind of funding and things that still need to be, I mean, obviously we've got the competition, but I think there's still hope of a kind of a, a similar CFD sort of mechanism that can be, can be introduced for carbon capture on a, on a wider scale. I think just on those projects that were announced as well, those those that East Coast cluster and HyNet, the work on that does seem to be progressing as well. And just last week, BP handed out a contract for work um, to PSG or P- PGS, sorry, not not the 50, <laughs> uh, PGS, the Norwegian firm, uh, to carry out seismic acquisition work on the Endurance Reservoir. Now that's the key backbone of their of their project of the, the East Coast cluster. That's going to store all the carbon that's captured. Um, it's kind of under the North Sea so yeah work's kind of starting to ramp up on that that would suggest that you know the the wheels are moving because there was kind of this thing that if either of these projects faltered then Acorn would be there ready to to pick up pick up the pieces and, and advance as a track one project so maybe I don't know maybe we're reading too much into that <laughs> but it seems as if things are Ticket ticking along uh, nicely. It's fun to read things um, into
0: things. It's, that's what this podcast is for, isn't it? I
2: would love a bit of speculation on here. No.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> PGS have got a bit of a track record as well. They're carrying out similar work for Equinor's Northern Light Scheme um, in Norway as well that involves Total Energies and Shell. So it seems like they could well be uh, making a bit more of a, a mark on the, uh, the UK market if they're, they're starting to build up this... This pedigree in, in, in seismic acquisition. Mm,
0: indeed, indeed. Okay, so yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on that uh, and and see how it progresses. But I think for now that is it for this latest episode of Energy Voice Out Loud. Thank you, Hamish and Damon, for joining me. I've been Arthur Thomas, and thank you for listening.
3: Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation